didn't see you there. Something big is going on here. From hunting ghosts to Bigfoot. Paranormal, UFOs, true crime, and more. We won't just be spouting articles. I was researching for your entertainment. Beginning of a new world. The best guac you'll ever fucking eat. True story. It's basically like one day you walk outside and you see that the ants are playing with matches. This, this is the Black Cat Report. Report. See you on the other side. Welcome all you beautiful and lovely people to episode 14 of the Black Cat Report. After too many moons apart, we are finally all together in studio again. I'm talking Joey. You. I'm talking Betsabe. Hola. I'm talking Selena. Hi. And I'm talking me, Gil, here this week with something wild for you. For today's story, we will be covering one of the most in-depth breakdowns of an alien abduction ever recorded and ever reported by an experiencer. While there are mountains of cases and claims where people have been taken and managed to retain memory of brief glimpses from their experience, few have the degree of details, perception, and awareness this case offers. For 12 months, on a nearly weekly basis, Betty Andreessen will be repeatedly put under meticulous scrutiny. She will be hypnotized for literally hundreds of hours, and every detail of her testimony scrutinized. Ultimately, Betty will be subjected to multiple lie detector tests, character checks, analysis of evidence, hundreds of hours of debriefings verging on the point of a soft interrogation, and never once will something be contrarily discovered or raise any doubt. Her story checks out. Whoa. <laughs> now to give some important context and add even more credibility to this story, it's important to understand Betty is, and was raised as, a fundamentalist Christian. And while this doesn't make her inherently more trustworthy, it does set the scene for us to realize her abduction stands as a major conflict with her, and, as we'll see, her family's beliefs. In other words, this is the last thing she wanted. She was not at all primed for it, and as wild as it will be, when broken down and compared to the piles of other abduction cases, her story adds up. And I'm going to be honest, if you've never done drugs, if you've never danced with psychedelics, you're going to be convinced the protagonist of this story is on drugs. And if you have done drugs, tap the rainbow dragon, lick the devil's sweat, bang the brown banshee, or any other metaphor for doing drugs I just made up, you're also going to realize that this person was not on drugs and that you would love to get a hold of whatever they had. <laughs> Why can't it be both? <laughs> it, too long. <laughs> it's too long and too intense. Now... For a primary source in this episode, we will be using and following closely a book called The Andreessen Affair by Raymond E. Fuller, which we purchased after two listeners of our show, Rachel and Tim, so awesomely gave us an Amazon gift card that we used to buy it, along with retractable highlighters, which I burned through faster than cigarettes. So a huge shout out to Rachel and Tim for helping us keep the lights on and our minds filled with paranormal reading. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We love you. As for our story, before we dig into the more juicy parts, we'll need to back up and give a little context. After getting married fairly young in the early 1950s, Betty, 17, and James, 21, the Andreessens found and moved into an old farmhouse. It was an affordable fixer-upper, or, as the author of the book called it, a handyman special, located in Ashburnham, Massachusetts. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. I don't trust a town named Ashburnham. Mm -mm. <laughs> but a handyman special sounds so cute. It does. It Doesn't does. sound like you have a dilapidated home. It's handyman special. It's a handyman special. Spotted with the sleepy remains of century-old farms tucked along the rolling hills and dense forests, 
Ashburnham, with the total population at the time hovering at only 2,800, was a fairly small neighborhood in a very rural area of northern Massachusetts. And his James was a sole breadwinner, while the Andreessen's family quickly grew to eventually have seven children, this little farmhouse provided the perfect opportunity to grow with them. A typical lower middle class family, life wasn't necessarily hard for the Andreessen's, but it wasn't lavish either. Regardless, Sundays were always a day of celebration, cookies, smiles, and salvation, and this was the cadence of life until December 23rd of 1966. After being rear-ended, James was thrusted into a severe head-on collision. He survived, but his injuries would result in weeks of in-hospital care before months of slow recovery at home. Shortly after the accident, Eva and Wayno Ajo, Betty's parents, would move in to help with taking care of the kids and the chores. This finally leads us to who was home on the evening of January 25th, 1967. After an early dinner, Betty was in the kitchen finishing up a few things before heading off to check on James at the hospital. The kids, fed, dressed, and chilling with their grandparents in the living room were all watching Bozo the Clown. Anybody else? Bozo? No, and that's creepy. No, mm-hmm. never watch Bozo the Clown. I never watched Bozo <laughs> no, the Clown. No, thank you. That was my favorite. I loved Bozo growing up. <laughs> that explains so much. <laughs> yeah. Kind of does. I hated Barney so much. I got I in love so Barney. much trouble for telling my parents I thought Barney was stupid. <laughs> I mean, Barney was doing other things, but neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's when, fading in and out, there's a flicker and the house goes completely dark. No. The kids panic and run through their home, looking for their mom. And that's when they first notice it. From the kitchen window, a pink light is now slowly shining through. Oh no, we're jumping in that quick, y'all. It begins changing from pink to reddish-orange, and it grows brighter and starts pulsating. Betty tells the kids, Be quiet. Quick, get in the living room. Whatever's out there will go away. At this point, the family noticed a change in the air. A stillness, quote, like the whole house had a vacuum over it. Huddled together and watching, terrified and confused in silence in the living room, the psychedelic nature of a close encounter begins. Quoting the book now, the Andreessen kitchen had become a kaleidoscope of reflected color and dancing shadows keeping cadence with the flashing light, end quote. Wayno got up and headed to the kitchen peeking through the pantry window to get a better glimpse of what was going on outside, stating later, quote, These creatures that I saw through the window of Betty's house were just like Halloween freaks. I thought they had put on a funny kind of headdress imitating a moon man. It was funny the way they jumped one after the other, just like grasshoppers. When they saw me looking at them, they stopped. The one in front looked at me, and I felt kind of queer. That's all I knew, end quote. jumping now over to 11 year old becky's view from the living room as she peered down the hall into the kitchen silhouettes dark silhouettes began blocking the light leaving shadows sliding across the kitchen window then all senses and strength were lost everyone became frozen except for betty nine out of the ten people in the house were stuck in suspended animation Betty looks around in disbelief before the experience kicks into full swing. Through the kitchen door, and I literally mean through the closed, solid kitchen door, four identical short beings with large, 
pear-shaped heads and clay gray skin begin coming through in perfect unison. And this is picture when you're a kid and when you fold up a piece of paper and then you cut it into the shape of a person or like a snowflake or something like that and then you unfold it. Now take that, that string of connected papers that you all did and hold it out in front of you at kind of like a horizontal angle, right? That's how they were walking through the door. What? Why? <laughs> I don't know. And to add to this, they were walking about an inch off the ground, right? So all of these things with the exact same appearance coming through the door, almost like they're unfolding out of a two-dimensional reality, moving like a horizontal fractal into the house. I like, almost want to pull out the book to show you guys what this looks like, because there's drawings everywhere. <laughs> These oh, aliens came through the door, mm -hmm. and then they looked at Betty, and then they just looked at her and said, She's a witch! Because they're in Massachusetts, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Betty, like anyone would be, is standing there confused as hell, trying to make heads or tails of the situation when it finally dawns on her, quote, I'm thinking they must be angels because Jesus was able to walk through doors and walls and walk on water. They must be angels. Aww. And scriptures keep coming into my mind where it says, entertain the stranger for maybe angels unaware. That is so cute. <laughs> like, she's trying to see it in a positive way. Yeah. She kind of is, yeah. She's seeing it through the lens of fundamental Christianity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's nice. Because <laughs> I would not see it that way. <laughs> no. <laughs> well... As they grew closer to Betty, she began to get a better look at them. Their eyes were a light, cloudy color, three large fingers on each hand, and they were wearing a dark blue uniform with a blue slash or banner across the chest. They literally looked like little space cadets. Hmm. Aww. A tranquility overwhelmed Betty. Quote, An aura of friendliness emanates from the aliens, from, from these intruders. And she was no longer frightened. While all of them are a spitting image of each other, the one in the front, the first one to come through the door, who is assumed to be the leader, was slightly taller than the rest, standing at about four feet. So tall. <laughs> <laughs> Betty recalled his left eye specifically. It was fluttering, physically moving on a pivot like the wing of a hummingbird. Just, it was going like this. Just, <laughs> like, literally just like... Nobody, our listeners can't see this, but we all have our hands on our face, like, waving them. How are we like, can you not? That's I <laughs> can you stop? Can you stop that? What is that? Are you <laughs> winking at me? Yeah, are you flirting with me? Are you hitting on me? I'm a, I'm a married woman. woman. They thought he was a leader, too, because the sash said leader on it, you know? like <laughs> I'm just gonna go out on a limb here. <laughs> You're the lead angel. <laughs> lead angel. Michael? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> well... The one with the crazy eye. Um, he, he approached her, and speaking so clearly into her mind while calling her by name, introduced himself as Quasga. That's cool. <laughs> this point right here marks something I found absolutely fascinating. The telepathy that Betty is explaining. It's, like, so strong, it, come, it comes across as sound... But there's no sound being made, while at the same time, images are being planted in her head that are kind of acting like, uh, they're kind of acting like a way to like bridge a gap in translation, right? <gasps> That's like the movie Arrival. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, That's yeah. cool. Have you seen that one? 
I have, but it's been like so long. Mm-hmm. So good. That was a good movie. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. it, it, and I mean, I would not be surprised if they like took inspiration from this specific story. This has like a huge backing behind oh. it, this specific case. But yeah, um, it's, yeah, I just found that absolutely like awesome. Like it, it makes sense, and to me, it kind of like matches like if you're if you're in another country or in your situation where like you don't speak the the dominant language like in the area. Um, say you're walking down the street in Italy and you like see somebody holding a mug, and you're just like ah, uh, you know, il cafe, il cafe. You're just like pointing to it. Um, in reality, you're just saying the coffee, the coffee, and eventually, hopefully, that person realizes you're looking for a cafe, right? <laughs> Not just trying to mug them over their coffee, which I heard <laughs> is an executable offense <laughs> in Italy. <laughs> but, yeah. Mug them of their mug. Oh. Uh. <laughs> so, again, these images, just like you would point, uh, just like you would point to while saying the wrong words or phrasing, bridge an important language and cultural gap. This also, if y'all remember, fully tracks with what happened to Jose and Remy during the Trinity UFO crash. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, covered in episode one, maybe episode two, but when they saw the creatures freaking out, the kids were overwhelmed with sound, but also Remy in particular had his head flooded with catastrophic imagery that fucked him up mm-hmm. and like literally fucked him up into his adulthood. Right. It was the same thing. There was a the loud squealing, screeching noise and stuff like that that they couldn't get away from. They felt like they were in a vacuum. All the sounds around them stopped besides that. And imagery was flushing into them. It's the same thing. So, anyways. Uh, back to meeting our new, our new homie, Quasga. Uh, <laughs> after introducing himself to Betty, he stretched out his hand towards her. Betty completely missed the mark. <laughs> Quoting now from the book, do you want something to eat? <laughs> they merely nodded. And so, um, end quote. And so I went to go get some food from the refrigerator on a pan from the stove, and I started to cook some meat. Oh. The entities stared impassively at Betty momentarily, and then she received another mental impression. And I turned because they said something to me, and they said, We cannot eat food unless it is burned. <laughs> And so I started to burn the meat, and they stepped back, astonished over the smoke that was coming up. This is so cute. <laughs> it's gonna get not cute, but yeah, it's cute right now. <laughs> like, like this lady, I love her. She's kind of awesome. Yeah, like, I she just want to go to her house and have her cook something for me. <laughs> like, what a great host. Right. He's about to turn into Gordon Ramsay, though. <laughs> <laughs> well. The beings corrected Betty uh, as clear images formed in her mind, and they said, But that's not our kind of food. Our food is tried by fire. Knowledge tried by fire. Do you have food like that? To Betty, the answer was obvious. Knowledge tried by fire? They wanted the one truth, the only truth. Food for the eternal soul. Yes, I think I have something like that. It's in there. Quote, they followed me into the living room, and I looked, and I saw all my family as if time had stopped for them, and I wondered what happened. But I glanced down, and I picked up the Bible that was on the end table. I turned, and I passed it to the leader. The leader passed me a little blue book in exchange. Wait, so what did they want to eat? I don't get it. They were saying knowledge tried by fire, and she interpreted that as like, oh, they want the Bible. Huh. 
yeah, I guess with like the imagery like, and stuff like that, they were like, we want, we want to like irrefutable cons- knowledge. That's like, their food. Knowledge. Yeah, that's I, what I they said their food was. Oh, I think they were like, maybe they were like mixing up the concept of like mm-hmm. to consume. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like, and they kind of were taking that as like a literal. Oh, they would hate me. I would be like, I don't understand. Why are you telling me? I'm I'm sorry. I can't understand what you're saying. It is just like a rival in that way when they don't understand when, you know, she's talking about how the tool could mean weapon. Weapon, Could mean either a tool for us to help or a weapon. And so, like, just the differentiating of, like, the words meaning different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same word meaning different things. That makes sense. Yeah, I would be like, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. (laughs) Can't help you. Go to another house. (laughs) I have an Encyclopedia Britannica. Um, <laughs> so, Quasga, holding the Bible, waved his hand over it, and multiple copies, all thicker than the original, appeared. Whoa. He proceeded to pass them out to the other three beings with him. Once all four were holding on, they looked down at them. The pages, pure white, almost to the point of being illuminated, started flipping on their own in perfect unison. At this point, I just imagine Betty thinking, oh my god, I gotta learn this trick for Sunday school. This is yeah. nice, you know? <laughs> well, when they finished, presumably, spree- presumably speed-reading the Bible, they all looked up at Betty at the same time. Um, what the fuck did we just download? <laughs> <laughs> and it was at that point the alien species started having their first holy war. What was that shit? Was it literal? <laughs> no, dummy, that was a beautiful allegory. <laughs> Quasga front line. Bros, chill. It's a story about our cousin. The whole time, <laughs> dude in the back just holding his head like, what the fuck is a camel? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, but Seriously that, though. Like, last what? part didn't happen, but, but I feel like it did. Um, but when they did finish, and they all looked at Betty, she finally like, realized that she was still holding on to this little blue book. Now, this is important for understanding the timeline. This is also the moment when the oldest child, Becky, somehow came out of her suspended animation, later saying that without them even directly acknowledging it, they knew she had regained consciousness. She sees her mom holding the blue book and looking at it with Quasga, sees three identical beings standing behind him, which she called the triplets. And while she's overwhelmed with how scary they look, She's immediately overtaken by feelings of being in a close relationship with them, sensing how kind they are, that they don't mean any harm, kind of like Sloth from the Goonies. (laughs) Anyways, during hypnosis, Becky points out some interesting things about this moment. First off, she describes the situation playing out in the room from a unique but slightly different perspective. While it's not contradictory, it's not 100% corroborating what her mom was experiencing. In other words, it was more legitimate from a witness testimony perspective. It's always sketchy when people from different angles are having the exact same story. It's it's too close, you know. Anyways, second, the TV. Now, I found this quote absolutely fascinating. While under hypnosis, she was asked at one point if the TV was off. Her reply, quote, Yes, the TV... N- no. The TV is... It's... It's different. No picture, no sound, very very dim, like you turn down the color, like you like you turn it down so it's very gray and low. End quote. I don't know, that just like 
That's creepy. That's just, like, yeah. weird to me. <laughs> like, Why would they mention the TV? That's random. Well, I mean, the, you know, this is literally, there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of hypnosis, and, like, these folks are trying over 12 months to get people to get them to like uh, contradict themselves to analyze every single moment of the situation you know where was your grandpa where was your grandma where was your sister da, 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 da. asking them later asking them five months later like what was they doing how you know like every little detail was supposed to be explained right and since um since Becky, the daughter, was, like, frozen in place near the TV, oh. she was just explaining everything from the singular point of view, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But in my mind, uh, you know, especially in the case of, like, um, uh, with, like, alien experiences like this, um, close encounters like this, it's either all the electric is off completely, mm -hmm. um, or it's just stuff's, like... Well, pretty much that's it. Either all the electric is off or, like, nothing. Nobody ever references TV screens and monitors and stuff like that. And this is... It kind of almost made me think back to... Do y'all remember with, like, tube televisions? When you would see, like... You would have, like, a camcorder and you would try to record a television screen. How, like, weird mm -hmm. they looked. Mm. Almost the way she's explaining it almost sounds like a slowed down, like, version of that. Mm. happening hmm. which makes it like super trippy in yeah. my opinion like i don't know huh stood out interesting yeah well it was a little after this point when quasga stops in the middle of looking at the book um turns his head towards the living room and slowly looks across the rest of the family he stops when he gets to becky who was unable to move but still conscious quasga looks back at betty and then quote started talking or looking at mom, and then all I can see is nothing but darkness. Then nothing. She's completely dropped out of consciousness again at that point. So it's kind of like he like heard her thoughts and like looked around and then like realized it was her thinking and then just ignored her and like went back to talking and like turned her off. She's hmm. fucking weird. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, that's uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, so finally back to the little blue book. Um, Betty, get, Betty begins flipping through it. The pages are so white that they appear to be literally like illuminating light from them. Like looking at your cell phone when it's dark. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and there's these, uh, these strange shapes and symbols, almost like diagrams listed in the pages. A quote, silver gray top thing, like coils. And there was a sort of wheel, and inside were four things. I can't make out what these things are. Upon closing the book, she notices the eyes of the creature standing in front of her. Quote, And their eyes are so funny. One minute they're light, and now they've gone all black with a little ball in it, and they're just moving straight, especially that left eye. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> just like what her daughter mentions, there's an overwhelming feeling that goes along with their presence, almost like a spell that you're aware of but unable to break even still betty a mother of seven is not one to mince words she proceeds to get into the first of many arguments with the entities going back and forth with them as they ask if she'll come with them what are you doing here we have come to help will you help us how can i help would you follow us mm. Are you of God? You keep saying you've come to help the world. Why? Because the world is trying to destroy itself. How can I help the world? 
would you follow us? Mm, if you're of God, if you are here to help and are of God, I would follow, but do not deceive me. Would you follow us? Mm. Would you follow us? What about my children, my parents? They are all right. Would you follow us? Mm. See, they're just resting there. They are all right. <laughs> Would you follow us? Mm. <laughs> Would you follow us? Oh, <laughs> Lord, show me what I'm supposed to do. We will not harm you. Would you follow us? <sighs> All right. Sounds like a song. (laughs) Sounds like a song. Y'all, that was. Would you follow us? (laughs) (laughs) Would you follow us? Oh my god, this poor lady. Betty drops a 60s folk album. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she could have asked, okay, can you give me details? Like, when am I coming back? Am I coming back? Yeah. What? Like, not just like follow us. Well, they, they read the Bible That's and true. they were just like, this makes sense. They'll just have faith in anything right now. Ah. <laughs> uh. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> like, but like, Wouldn't they be scared, though? Like, they crucified their hero. <laughs> we should go. Yeah, yeah like like that know. like that meme. Like, what did you guys do to Jesus? We gave him chocolate. Chocolate's in the best wine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, Jesus comes back every year. Yeah, we give him our best chocolate and wine. What'd you guys do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Well, as soon as Betty agreed... Quasga told her to stand behind him, and when she went to go step up to him, swoop, she was sucked into place, moving in unison, just like all of them were when they came in through the kitchen door earlier, except now she's one of them, walking a few inches off the ground and passing through the wooden door. What the fuck? (laughs) Making their way into the backyard, the whole area was filled with a dense fog, not uncommon for the area, but in this situation, like definitely noticeably thicker than usual yeah to add more dramatic yeah to some to yeah, it and that's also why people when they were like how come nobody else saw it they yeah. were like well, we well i could barely even see that i was next to my house with the fog being so dense yeah. she could only see the corner part of her house and part of the craft definitely on purpose mm-hmm. yeah it was also, like super like, obfuscated why couldn't they just open the door they just had to go through the door <laughs> They could have just, like, opened the door. It's like, like, they want to add drama to this. (laughs) (laughs) You could have just opened the door. With their fancy little, like, Broadway sashes on and just, like, everything. I mean, to be fair. Their fog machine. If you could go through a door without opening it, 100% everyone would do it. I would do it. Yeah, just, if if you're going into it, especially into someone's house and you're like, follow me. You know, you're not going to be like, hold on, let me open the door. I door locked and come in and out as soon as I want, whenever I want. (laughs) The doors end up being a pretty part of the pretty big part of the story, so I'm glad y'all are picking up on that. Oh. <laughs> but um, so yeah, uh, well, sitting in the thick haze as they're going into the backyard, positioned on a hill, right there, was a massive craft. She immediately started getting nervous. Something Quasga picked up on without missing a beat. He says, "See, you can trust me. Look over at the ship." <laughs> He then proceeds to make the bottom of the ship clear. Like, literally, he made the entire bottom of the craft look like it was made of glass. Cool. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was at that point 
Betty started realizing that a lot of the weird things she saw in the little blue book just moments before were parts of the ship that she was viewing through its floor. Betty starts freaking out. What is it, Quasga? (laughs) I have other things to show you. Come along. Come along. He's just like, you ain't seen nothing yet, lady. (laughs) Just like, let's do this. On the inside of the ship is Michael Bolton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the floor. (laughs) I can't. Neil Diamond, live in concert, opening for Michael Bolton. And Michael Jackson. He's actually alive. He was just abducted. Yeah, yeah, he just got abducted. You ready, Quaska? (laughs) The floor changed back to its original silver gold color. Quaska raised his left hand and an opening appeared. The five of them then went inside. Once on board, Quasga and the other three aliens literally ditched Betty, <laughs> leaving her awkwardly standing by herself as they had this like little huddle on the opposite end of the massive room. Oh Quote, my God. <laughs> this is great. Quote, and they still are talking over there, and they glance over at me once in a while. <laughs> Oh, hurry up. I'm crossing my arms now. I'm tired of just standing here. <laughs> End quote. So, like, she just got, like, taken aboard an alien spacecraft. And she's like, you know, nothing bad is happening. She's just kind of standing there. And she's just like, come on. <laughs> she's, like, so bored already. Get to the probing already. <laughs> it just, it makes me think of, like, you know, going to a party with, like, a group of friends and you're the only one yeah. out of the group that doesn't know everybody yeah. at the party and they just ditch you and, like, literally they're just kind of yeah. talking in their huddle and, like, looking back and then just da 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 and then looking back and you're just kind of, like, wallflower over there and, like, do 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 She's like, oh, come on! <laughs> I can totally relate to this lady. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, I totally can too, um, a couple of the aliens leave. Quasga brings Betty over to the two that stayed and says he's going to prepare and asks them to take her to the upper room. Again, she's swooped behind them and is walking in unison. Doors start sliding up from the floor and walls as they are moving and they start passing through them like portals with spiral staircases on the other side that just start appearing. All right. <laughs> it it almost reminds me of uh, that really famous like uh, lithograph, the Relativity by M. C. Escher, the one with like all the stairs mm-hmm. going in mm-hmm. the different directions. Like that. That's basically what was happening in this craft with just portals, just appearing everywhere, and they're just like walking straight through them. If they can float above the I ground, gonna, why do yeah. they need stairs? Yeah. What do you need? Like what? For? What guy was th- their architect of their ship was like? You know what? <laughs> M.C. Escher is probably the architect. And just looking at it like, these need stairs to nowhere. These yeah. portals got to have steps to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you little guys need? Cardio. And you're not getting enough of it. I got a plan. <laughs> yes. But anyways, they, they finally get to a room and then they ditch her again. <laughs> at this point, her body's starting to feel heavy to the point of almost being paralyzed. All she can move is her head. Oh, No. So she's like literally not just awkwardly at a party, but awkwardly being overwhelmed with anxiety at a party at the same time. And not being able to move. <laughs> and in true uh, in true Betty fashion, she starts complaining again. 
Um, two of the aliens come back and motion to her to follow them. Of course, like right when they do that, it kind of like gives her this release. Um, and they take her into the center of the room. The floor begins opening up and they slowly start lowering down all of them into a large silver tube, eventually landing in a different room. They bring her over to a platform with an intense light shining down on it. And quoting directly now, Would you get under that, please? Well, what is it first? It's just a cleansing thing. Uh, will it hurt? No. It's just to cleanse you. (laughs) Well, when standing on it, Betty goes on to say that the beam of light around her got so intensely bright that she couldn't tell if a covering came down and was surrounding her. After this, they walked her over to another area, a small, wedge-shaped room that opened from the wall, barely illuminated by a dim, glowing light. Inside, a white, almost hospital-style garment was hanging. Would you please change? I don't want to change. Please, would you please change? But why do I have to change? There's a white garment there for you. Would you please get into it? Look, I came out here out of my own free will. Why do I have to change into this now? Please change. Quasga is waiting for I you. Wanna, I want to talk to him. Please change. All right. <laughs> <laughs> she steps in. I've cut out like nine arguments, by the way. <laughs> like, um, she steps in and the door it. closes. She changes and literally just... It bangs on the wall that she's done. <laughs> they eventually open the door and proceed to take her via the weird little conga line walk that they do to a massive dome-shaped room. Light is flooding in everywhere with no clear source. There's a large table-like desk sitting in the center. Quasga comes in, dressed differently, and after a lot of bickering and reassurance, Betty has floated from the floor turned horizontally in the air and laid down on the table. (laughs) She asks Quasga what they are going to do to her. He replies they are going to measure her for light. Then after waving a strange fan-shaped device over her, he proclaims that she has misunderstood some pieces, some places that are parts. Um, Basically, there's areas of her that are missing light. Taking this to mean the light of God, she starts arguing with him. (laughs) Oh, I'm filled with light. (laughs) Quasga replies that they're going to have to measure her physically, and her body becomes completely paralyzed. The examination is ready to begin. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the Andreessen Affair. The sexy and steamy alien affair will get you nice and ready to like our Instagram page and like, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just remember as you close your eyes that we'll see you on the other side. The examination is ready to begin. Weird-looking wires come down from the ceiling with silver-colored needles at the end. One of the needles bends in closer to her face, and with a slow, pushing motion, slides into her left nostril, quote, I heard something break, like a membrane or veil or something. I know. Like a piece of tissue or something they broke through, Ugh. end quote. Shortly after the needle went in, one of the entities in the room touch the top of her head 
She said, quote, They were waking something up. The and then the pain completely disappeared. Next, another wire lined up over her lower stomach. And with the same steady, penetrating motion, began slowly pushing a needle through her navel. What the fuck? I remember when I got my na- my, my belly button pierced. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is she not under anesthesia or anything? No, she's feeling they everything. She just touched the top of her head and now she couldn't feel pain anymore. Oh, uh, okay. Well, okay. Kind of, yeah. yeah. She could still feel it. Best way I can... It said the pain completely it. disappeared. Yeah, yeah. It. But from the the full text and stuff like that, the best way I can explain this is almost like when you're at the dentist and you get like Novocaine or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And like you, you can, can feel still the feel the movement and the pressure and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like pressure going in your body and moving around. Yeah. Weird. Um, so, yeah, once these needles were inside of her, the entities began speaking to each other. Again, she low-key got ditched for like a minute <laughs> with all this stuff in her. This part, again, stands out to me, right? Uh, the way that she explains it in the book or like under hypnosis and like the way it keeps coming up. They aren't talking audibly, telepathically. Now, this is weird to me because I've never heard of a situation where someone is overhearing a group all telepathically speaking to each other. Yeah. Huh. That's just weird. Normally, it's like one-on-one, and it's like very direct. Yeah. But with these like weird little like, you know, alien huddles like over in the corner, she can literally hear their different voices talking while the, none of their mouths are like moving. Hmm. It's like they were over at a water cooler over on the side, just being like, damn. I can't believe she fell for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All we had to do was ask a few times. (laughs) They're southern again. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know why I keep going to these aliens being southern. Damn southern aliens. (laughs) All my exes live in Texas. All my X-Wings live in Texas. Um, Star Wars? Nobody. Damn it. All right. Anyways, uh, finally, they tell her that they're confused because she has some parts missing. What? What they hadn't realized at the start of all this is Betty, due to medical complications, had gotten a hysterectomy after her seventh child was born. After this, they keep exploring her insides with that needle that shoved through her navel. She can feel it snaking around inside oh, of God, her. Oh, God, no. At this point, the touch on the head from earlier isn't working anymore, and she's crying out in pain. Fuck. Ow. And, in true Betty fashion, she does not fail to give Quasgop and the rest of the crew a piece of her mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the events do get incredibly redundant from here as they get explained in nauseating detail over pages and pages in the book, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Trust me, there's a lot more content. (laughs) After the procedure is through, Betty is again levitated and placed in a single-file line between the beings. They walk back to the small, wedge-shaped room where she changed earlier, and she put back on her clothes. This time, though, when she... This time, though, when she was released back into the hallway and started following the beings, they took her past where the silver tube was earlier and to a wall where a door appeared. When it opened, they began heading down a long, black tunnel with a lit-up room resting at the end. Upon reaching it, she noticed a glass-like chairs, four on each side, lining the walls. Please be seated. Ooh, what is it going to do? 
Please be seated. Oh, we no. will not harm you. Uh, you did already, already lied about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, that this was... seems like a terrible day at the doctor's office. You know? yeah. like... Are you ready for the probe? Yeah. <laughs> Cough there twice. Was... <laughs> I, after the needle thing, like literally, there was like eight arguments with Quasga. Quasga went back and forth like eight <laughs> times to the group. Um, in her mind, she was like, Quasga is totally standing up for me and he's looking frustrated, but also they're all expressionless. And so it's <laughs> like, well, you're also in a lot of pain. I don't really know where to draw the line here with perception. Um, so like, but it just keeps going back and forth. And they're like, well, we need to do this. And she's like, but you said it wouldn't hurt. And then it hurts. And then they tap her in the head and then she's chill for a moment. And then more shit happens with needles and her belly and Jesus stuff like that. Christ. And she complains and they tap her in the head. It literally, it's like eight pages of like needle moving. Ow. Boop. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. over and over. And I'm like, I've... yeah, anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> So, slightly mesmerized, she sat down and, quote, a transparent enclosure came down around her. It felt strange, like moisture was being sucked out of her body. It was getting colder and colder. She began feeling heavier and was trying to comprehend just what she was experiencing. Three tubes came down from the ceiling and went through the enclosure, then down her throat, and up both nostrils. What the fuck? They were pumping in air as a gray liquid began pouring over her head and down her body, filling the small, form-fitting seal around her while she hears a voice in her head. Just keep your eyes closed. You'll be fine. Okay, so this... This is the part where it gets weird. Um, oh, okay, because it hasn't. And by that, I mean her whole body becomes a vibrator. What? <laughs> Hold on what? I need to sip a beer for this. It's about to get real sexual. Ooh. Betty. Betty. No this wonder is why her they divorced. Her yeah. husband divorced because he heard the recordings and he's like, Quasga? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who's this Quasga? Who's this Quasga? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> oh my god. I hope what we're about to read isn't too long of a quote, but I'm not here to meddle with literary perfection. Also, how is this supposed <clears throat> to save the world? Just wait. They were checking her for fertility? Yeah, they were checking. They were like, I... she's had seven kids? And then they're like, how the fuck wait. did she have seven kids with no parts? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh there, there's a lot more to the story but uh yeah they're putting her through some trials um <clears throat> so anyways yeah um i hope what we're about to read isn't too long of a quote but i'm not here to meddle with literary perfection to quote betty oh it's soothing it's relaxing oh feels good ah feels Good. Oh, it feels so good, like a whirlpool vibrating around, and and I can breathe all right because I'm breathing through my mouth and through my nose through those tubes. The tranquilizing oscillations continued. <laughs> the feeling of heaviness that had attended Betty from the onset of her experience dissipated. She became one with, in perfect resonance with, the undulating fluid. Suddenly, Betty started as a telepathic voice interrupted her reverie. Yes? Oh, the, 
They're calling me, telling me that they're going to give me something to drink and for me to swallow it. Oh, no. What is it? What is it? They said not to be alarmed. It's, it's something I, I must go through and take. What is it? Betty waited expectantly. Soon she felt a thick syrup seeping into her mouth through the connected tube. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about a spoonful or so. Oh my God. And they're giving it to me through the tube. And it tastes sweet. Oh, it tastes good. Oh, this feels good. Oh, it's so relaxing. And it tastes, tasted good. It was sweet and thick, sort of like cough syrup. And I'm just in here and that vibration is going around and around and it feels good on me. I feel very relaxed, just like a whirlpool. Did they give you this water syrup through the tube? They gave it to me through the tube. <laughs> Someone's tube. Someone's tube. If y'all want to check page 79 and 80 of the book, that is word for word a direct quote. Oh my god, Betty. Betty, come on, Betty. Betty, get together. Okay. Are you sure you weren't reading a uh, one of those ro- Harlequin romance novels in the middle? She's got confused. Oh my god, this explains the affair part of the book's title. Oh man. What? Oh. oh damn, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I am slow to it. Um, well, Betty. Not after long, Betty's not. Not long after Betty swallowed the syrup, the vibration stopped. The gray fluid drained from around her and she opened her eyes. The heaviness she experienced before started coming back. But there was no time for afterglow. When she opened her eyes, she saw the creatures she's been spending all this time with standing in front of her chair with a black hood on over their heads. Oh. One steps forward and pressing something releases the weight she was feeling on her body and opens the chair. So, did she get raped by this guy? Kind of? (laughs) No. She was just having a good time. Experimented on. I mean, they kept asking if it was okay. So, I I feel like they had consent there. Yeah, because they were like, can you do this? And she was like, yes, okay. You know, they never were forceful, it doesn't seem like. Well, okay, so were they probably trying to impregnate her? No, I don't think so. I think they were just, like, checking her fertility. I don't know. That's, like, one of the things um, that, like, comes up a lot, like, in Mm -hmm. (laughs) X-Files. That, like, aliens, when they do abduct women, a lot of the time, they have testimony of, like, things going into their stomachs or their abdomens, like, looking for reproductive stuff, they think. (laughs) Yeah. And that happened with Betty and Barney Hill. That's why there's like that whole that like hybrid program conspiracy <laughs> thing happening. Yeah. Hmm. So I feel like they were just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. Releasing some tension there. They yeah. were just like, man, all work and no play. She's ah. a little uptight. <laughs> Send her to the chair. Oh, Betty. So yeah, the, the, the one dude, uh, the one entity steps up, presses something, releasing the weight she was feeling on her body, and opens the chair. Follow us, please. Swoop! She sucked back into line and walking behind them. They begin down a large, pitch-black tunnel. Their now silver suits were emitting a faint glow, which mixed in with the pitch of the tunnel 
and the hood on their heads gave the illusion of their headless bodies going through the long corridor. To Betty's anxiety, they're heading straight towards a glass-like mirror without stopping. They float just straight through this giant wall mirror thing, basically. On the other side, the air, the atmosphere itself, had a vibrating red intensity to it. Now she sees there are buildings everywhere. No sign of vegetation at all, but just stucco-looking buildings dotted across the landscape like a city. As they kept moving closer to the city, she realized there were hundreds of creatures crawling all over the buildings, just going in and out of the windows, right? Quote, huh. and these beings are, they got two eyeballs, and there are loads of them. Oh, they're scary. And they've skinny arms and legs and kind of a full body end of their eyes they can move every which way and they can climb just like monkeys they climb up quickly and swiftly and down and around and in and out of windows they're all over the place <laughs> they pass by the creatures without any issue betty the whole time freaking out asking what they are betty had been transported to another planet and the ride oh. of her life is only just starting Oh my god. <laughs> and that's where we'll pick back up next week with part two of the Andreessen Affair. <laughs> that's why it says affair on the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Isn't what did we crazy? just listen to? It I gets have... weird. Weirder. The first book of the sexual series. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of like Melanie's books. Yeah, yeah. We have a friend, a French friend, that writes one of those, uh, what are they called? Um, romance, Harlequin romance novels. Yeah. Oh, wow. Series, rather. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, this, like, drugs don't do that. I'm just going to go ahead and no. say that. Drugs don't do all of that. Drugs might give you a moment of that, but not all of it's this. It's like a and... whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's more. There's so much more. They just How got does to the she planet. remember all this? Like, this is the first. Usually people, like you say, they're flashbacks. And this is like she's telling us word by word what happened. Yeah. And, like, I didn't um didn't get, like, too into it at the beginning, but, like, the, the hypnosis process was, like, a huge, huge part of this. So, like, um, I've heard it said a bunch of times uh, in, in other podcasts or other kind of... Um, coverage around the Andreessen affair that she wasn't as freaked out as like you know if you've ever heard like the Betty and Barney Hill tapes like it's they are it's like blood curdling during their hypnosis sessions they are horrifying right and people are like oh she was so calm during it, and it no 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 um like there's there's parts where she is totally calm she's the calm cool collected Betty that we know and love right mm-hmm. uh, but then you know when it gets to certain parts like uh with the needles she started freaking out and in the hypnosis right the the hypnotist what he did was he basically he set up two situations so he's like now you're just going to be um a prospector you're just going to be like on the outside viewing what's happened you're not going to be experiencing it and so he set it up like so for part of her memory he was like you're just an outside spectator watching it tell us what's happening and so he tried to like disassociate her emotions from it while she was recounting what happening while at the same time they would have um sessions where she was an active participant (laughs) in it she was you know in the place she was supposed to be in um and it's like 
I don't know. It's just all the folks in the room are just complimenting or commenting on like how they're like they're like about to like snap their pencils and they're like watching her face cringe and she's like just like contorting and freaking out and they're like, All right, all right, all right, now you're just now you're now you're this and they like shift her back into like this and that and the other. Well at the same time, I will say that some of the hypnosis sessions seemed like a little bit like um what's the word I'm looking for? Voyeuristic? I don't know if that's the the right like they they commented so they they did this every single week right voyeuristic's not the right word but it's a little bit like anyways they they did these every single week for a year they would meet up with her and they would meet up at the same waffle house or like <laughs> waffle place get pancakes and waffles and stuff like that and go back to the hypnotist's office and spend like eight hours on like a saturday right wow like doing and they did this for a year did she get paid at least no I don't know. And she ended up selling her entire story rights to like Universal Studios or something like that for like fifteen grand. It was like literally nothing. Even then, it was like nothing. Um, and this was like way, way after the book and like all this other stuff. But wait, why Universal Studios? Did they make a movie? I don't, know. I don't think they ever did anything with it. But um, huh. but uh, yeah. So like the the hypnotists, like they would. Uh, it was nuts because they would be like, okay, you know, like we're getting to this point, but we're like, you're at this really juicy point, basically. And they're like, okay, 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 I'm gonna lock this scene in place in your mind, da 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 da. And when we come back next week, we're gonna start from right here. And then like they like they would just make comments in the book about like we didn't even want pancakes, we just wanted to get straight back to the hypnosis session. And like they were so hyped up about like what the fuck's gonna happen next, dude. <laughs> like. But there was there was like three, four, five people all there, all taking notes and like participating in this, like while she's going through these through these sessions, and um, then after the actual hypnosis session, they would have like a like a debrief kind of where they're like, oh, well, you said during hypnosis X Y Z, what did you mean by this? Da 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 da. And so after telling them all this shit for like eight hours, she would go back and just recite in perfect detail, like everything again like the hypnosis was you know bringing it back up in memory and then six or seven months later they'd be like oh okay and they would like intentionally try to trick her by like being like oh well this scene and then like let her kind of go through and explain it get like five or six minutes into it and then just ask a question and be like okay so wait wait um was the tv on and they'd be like yeah the tv was on. no it was off yeah it was on and it would like they were trying to catch her so yeah. much for a fucking year <laughs> which is just like and she you know there's some folks that could probably try to pull that off but she had literally zero history of like anything like this and they did background checks on her and they did character checks on her and they like they investigated the hell out of her during all of this right like checking on neighbors checking on this checking on you know where she went to school like everything they could and they're like no she's she's a great person she would never like she's honest she's this and that and the other mm. And, like, if she was going to create a story like this, she would have manuscripts, like, flooded everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, nothing. Yeah. And, like, which is in something like this where it kind of comes down to, like, you, you kind of just have subjective proof, you know? Mm -hmm. You just have the experiential proof. Like, it's kind of as close as you get <laughs> to legitimate. I mean, to legitimate, this is very you know? in detail. Yeah. It's... Y'all gotta read the book after this, I'm just saying. Wow. <laughs> oh, poor Betty. <laughs> yeah. Poor Betty. 
She still has a lot of crazy adventures left with Quasgar, though, let me tell you. <laughs> the doctors were sitting there, the, the medics were sitting there, and just be like, so tell us about that part of the story again. <laughs> How did you feel? Oh, oh, it feels good, like a whirlpool. Thank you for listening to the Black Cat Report and our episode on the Andreessen Affair. We hope this episode got you nice and ready for the next part of the episode coming next week. Remember to always like, review, share, and subscribe to our podcast. As it gets cold outside, get next to a fire, grab a glass of whiskey, scotch, or whatever you drink, and put on our podcast and it'll get you nice and warm for those cold days. We'll see you on the other side.